Good morning. Good to see you this morning. Time to worship together. Uh, it's really interesting. Dynamics of the two groups. First service, second service. I would think that you guys were more awake than the second service people, but I found out to not to be true. Y'all kind of, I think everybody comes to second service is kind of laid back people. You know, you kind of get up, laid back, and you kind of take your time. First service people are much more energetic than you guys are. It's most of them because they got little tiny kids. And they're probably the little tiny kids have already woken them up at 3 a.m. in the morning, you know. And so they're kind of like, a, you know, kind of that deal. So it's kind of interesting, you know. So uh, glad to see you, though, uh, even though. So I'll just try to keep you awake, you know, and keep you going this morning in our time of service together. If you're new, new here to Great Oaks, I'm Bill White, lead pastor. And uh, we've, we're coming to the end of a three-week series. Uh, that's, and then I can kind of bring you up to speed about what we've been talking about. It's kind of like this. Let me give you this first statement. Um, and this kind of, kind of encapsulates everything we've been talking about for the last three weeks and what we're talking about today. The question we've been talking about is this. How can we, as a church, continue? This is something we've always been doing. How can we continue to engage people to help them step in to a relationship with Jesus Christ? We talked about that two weeks ago. How can we help people step up into authentic spiritual maturity? We talked about that last week. And then today we're going to talk about, and how can we help them to step out to use their shape, and I'll tell you what that means, to engage and minister to people in the world. This series has really been about this. It's been about what our mission and what, what we're trying to accomplish as a church. But it's also about what we want to do in the future as well. We don't want to change the mission. We just want to reemphasize that and go forward. And so the reality of this is, is this. I mean, you go to businesses and you see mission statements, purpose statements on walls, and basically they're made up things, that, 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 that whatever the business is. We don't have to do that as a church, though. God gives us our mission, our purpose, and he, and he kind of gets one of the encapsulating message uh, scriptures that tell us that is, is Jesus' last command to his disciples. In Matthew 28, it says this. Jesus says, therefore, talking to his disciples, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and of the Holy Spirit, and, I, and teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you, and surely I am with you always to the very end of the age. And so Jesus gave this as his marching orders to his disciples. And his disciples are not people who are super Christians, by the way, okay? A disciple is a Christian. There is no difference. If you're a Christian, you're a disciple, a follower of Christ. Uh, and so that's, that's the marching orders of what we're to be individually and as a church. And then Jesus kind of defined that a little bit more in um, John chapter 17. Uh, Jesus said this, he says, and he says to his disciples, in the same way, talking about God, that you gave me a mission to the world, Jesus says to the Father, I give them, talking about his disciples, a mission in the world. And then Jesus defined his mission a little more clearly in Luke 19.10, and, and we've talked about this two weeks ago, fairly lengthy, but, and you can go back, if you weren't here, you can go back and listen to our podcast at, at greatoakcc.org and, and listen to the whole series because it kind of builds on one another. But Jesus said, uh, says this, for the Son of Man came to seek and to save that which was lost. So that is, it's his mission statement. Jesus said, this is my purpose, to seek and save that which was lost. And then Jesus speaks a little bit further. He tells his disciples, he says, in, in John 20, he says, as the Father has sent me, I am sending you. He says, I'm doing the, your mission is the same thing as my mission. My mission is to seek and save that which is lost, which means, fill in the dot, that, fill in the gap, your mission is to seek and save that which is lost. 
And we've talked about that for a couple of weeks now. And I find it interesting that throughout Scripture, it's a cohesive thing that their mission doesn't change. For Later on, Paul, the, the Apostle Paul, defines the mission further. He, and he says this about believers. He says, and Paul says it about himself. He says, the most important thing is that I complete my mission, the work that the Lord Jesus gave me to tell people the good news about God's grace. And so we see that continually uh, throughout Scripture, this, this, this same theme that God has given us a mission and a purpose, not just individually, but as a church and as a group of believers, uh, universal. That's the mission of every church, to seek and to save that which is lost, to help people to come to know Christ, to help them to understand what Christ says, not so they can simply have knowledge, but so they can love Christ more. And so that's what we've been talking about. Now, the question is, where do we share that? You know, how do we do that? Well, he gave us an outline in Acts 1.8. One of the very last things that Jesus said in Acts 1-8 after he had been crucified and he'd been uh, resurrected and he was there with his disciples, he says this in Acts 1-8. He says to his disciples, his followers, you will be my witnesses now. I'm getting ready to go to heaven. So I'm not going to be here anymore. He says, you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. He says, I'm going to empower you to do that. I'm going to leave with you something called the Holy Spirit who's going to empower you to do what I want you to do to carry out your mission. I'm not going to leave you just as with a mission without the resources. I'm going to give you both. But he says that. Now, notice a couple of things it says in this verse. This is where we want to camp out today for a while and explain what Acts 1.8 says to us and what it means for us. It doesn't say in here, you will be my defense attorney. It doesn't say you'll be my prosecutor or my salesman. He doesn't say we're to be any of those things for Christ. What does it say we're to be? We're to be a witness. And what is a witness? What is a witness? A witness is somebody who just tells what they've seen. If you're in a car accident or something, hopefully it never happened, you know, or you experience one, you see one from a distance, and you ever had to go to court and, and tell you had to be a witness in court, and what did you do? What did you do? You told them what you saw. The strange thing is, is five people will see the same thing and tell five different things. I never have figured that one out. But I guess it's a matter of perspective on what you do. And so that's why God tells all of us, in a sense, to share what we know because somebody, that will connect with them in some way. We're to be a witness, simply share what we know. So if you've been a Christian for five minutes, I mean, when you came in the door today and all of a sudden God just grabbed you and you said yes to Jesus Christ, you've been a Christian for five minutes, you have a story. And you can be a witness. You don't have to go know all the scripture in the world. You don't have to know, know, you know, go through a class. You don't have to do any of those things. It might be helpful to do those things. But the reality is God says that we need to be witnesses. Now, he says this in this verse. Where, what is a witness? Is that. Now, where are we to do it? Uh, witnesses is somebody that tells what they've seen. But he says, this is where you to do it. He says in Jerusalem. Now you're going like, well, I don't live in Jerusalem. No, you don't live in Jerusalem. You live in Germantown Hills or Metamora or East Peoria or Peoria or just wherever you live around here, you know, somebody close by. That's your Jerusalem. Jerusalem is, the, is talking about the people. We're under first to be a witness is we're the people that are closest to me. And most likely, they're the people who are most like you. Very few people live in neighborhoods and communities with people who are totally unlike them. Because you're most comfortable in a place where people are, are more like you. And so that's kind of the deal. He says, first we'd be the witness there. And then he says Judea and Samaria. That was a place a little bit further out. But also Judea and Samaria is not just a little bit further out geographically, but it was also a place where there's people that were different, different in culture from Jerusalem. 
So he's saying, not only do you need to be a witness to people who are are like you, but you need to be a witness to people who may be close to you, but are different than you. They're different from you in all kinds of ways. And he kind of sums up the whole thing and says, to the ends of the earth, which kind of means everybody else too. And so that's what he says to us. And the reason God says this to us, Jesus says this in Scripture, is God wants to build a family. And he wants to build a family of every nation. And in Ephesians 3, Paul says it this way. He said, this was God's plan for all of history, which he carried out through Christ Jesus our Lord. Jesus started the mission, and now he says, Jesus says, your mission is the same as my mission, to do exactly that. And it's interesting to me that God puts the future of the world in our hands. Have you ever thought about that? According to Scripture, there is no plan B. Jesus said when he left this earth, physically left this earth, and he went to heaven to live with the Father, I leave the Spirit with you who is going to empower you to be my witnesses wherever you are. The, the future of mankind, the future of God's kingdom here upon this earth is in our hands. So what are we going to do about it? How do we get on God's agenda, and how do you let God use you and bless you that so you can be completing the mission that God gave us as described in Acts 1.8? Let me share with you three things this morning and how we do that. And it kind of is an outline of Acts 1.8, but I just want to share how that is in reality. The first thing is this, and those of you who like to take notes, on the back of your bulletin is an outline, and there's three things you can fill in the blank, okay? For those of you who hate notes, just throw the bulletin in the floor and don't worry about it. So um, that's kind of the deal, okay? Uh, Acts 1.8, first one. The first thing I do, if I'm going to carry out Acts 1.8 in my world, do Christ's mission, number one, I'm going to share with those in my world. I'm going to share with those in my world. There's all kinds of stories I could have used, but there's a really interesting story in Luke chapter 8. In Luke chapter 8, the story is about this guy, and he was, he was, he was demon-possessed. It says he was full of demons. I mean, not just one demon, but a bunch of demons. And he was demon-possessed, and what happens, Jesus comes along the way, and this guy was miserable. I mean, he was like, I don't really know what it means to be demon-possessed. I've met some people that I thought were demon-possessed. You may know some, you know? Not really, you know, maybe one of your children. No, I don't know. But anyway, the reality is sometimes, the reality is sometimes, is this guy was demon-possessed. And Jesus comes to him, and what does Jesus do in the story in Acts, excuse me, in Luke 8? Those of you who know the story. What he does is he casts the demons out of the guy into a herd of pigs. And the pigs jump off a cliff because they didn't want demons either. Pigs don't even like demons. And so he jumps off a cliff, and so what does he do? Everybody's mad at Jesus, especially the pig herders, because they lost their pigs. You know, I mean, you'd be mad too if you had a pig farm here in Illinois, and Jesus cast demons into your pigs. And they jump off into a river or a cliff. There's no cliffs here, but anyway, you know, you get the idea. And he does that, and so what it is is the guy becomes a totally new person. He encounters Christ, he becomes a totally new person. And what does Jesus say to the guy? Well, in Luke 8, 39, he says... He tells, Jesus tells this guy, go back home and tell people how much God has uh, done for you. So what does the guy do? So he, went all, he, so he went all over town telling how much Jesus had done for him. That's a witness. Did he have any training? Did he have any you know, knowledge of anything? No, he's been a Christian for like literally five minutes. And he goes and he tells people, this was my encounter with Christ. This is what he did in my life. This is how I came. This is what he's done for me. And this is what's happened since then. It's been short, but this is what he's done for me. So any of you who have been Christian more than five minutes, who have followed Christ, you have a story. 
And you can share that in your life. And so everybody has different stories and you connect with people in different ways. God connected with you at a place in your life where you needed, needed God in some way. And you had some crisis probably and then you had to come to the place and God wants to do that. So your mission starts right here where you are. Right at home now. For some reason, let me, let me just say this and, and I just need to be honest about it. We have, one of the reasons so many Christians in America don't share their faith is we use an excuse. And the excuse is this, well, we live in a Christian nation. I would say that we live in a post-Christian nation. What that means is that we used to be more Christian than we are now. And we're going in the wrong direction. Because if you look at statistics, and you look at data, and you look at effectiveness, Americans are walking away from churches in droves. The United States, believe this or not, has now become the third largest mission field in the world behind China and India. There are more non-Christians, people who do not say, and then there's this whole category when people go to hospitals and they fill out their forms and they have to put religious preference on it. You know, they have to, you know what's become one of the top preferences now? None. It's changed over the years. No religious preference whatsoever. And the thing is, is that statistics say that, uh, this was a few years ago, I don't know what it is now, but it's, it's worse now. A few years ago, just back in 2010, it said there was more than 246 million people in America that not attending church on any given Sunday. And it's interesting because if you look at uh, logistically and, and, and generationally, uh, as many as uh, 60% of people born before 1946, research says, attend church, um, uh, on a regular basis, 60%. But when you look at today's, the younger generation, high school and, stu and college students, only 4% of today's teenagers and college students understand the gospel and have accepted Christ, even if they go to church. And so the reality is we're going in the wrong direction. And further evidence of the faltering of American faith is this. In 1990, statistics show that on any given Sunday, 20.4% of Americans were in church. I'm talking about Catholic, Protestant, and Evangelical. On any given Sunday, 20.4% of Americans were in church on any given Sunday. Just 13 years later, when I did another survey, the same survey in 2003, uh, just, uh, the number had declined to 17.8%. And I can guarantee you, I couldn't find the most recent numbers, but I can guarantee you that the number has not risen the reality is this, we have this idea that because we see a lot of megachurches out there, that megachurches have grown, but you know that today there is not one county in the whole United States that has more people attending church today than they did 10 years ago. We're going in the wrong direction, so the, the, the myth is, is not there. We are not necessarily in a, a, a Christian nation, we're going in the opposite direction. And so what do we do? What do we do? Well, the Bible says it very clearly, and just to kind of reiterate what he says about being a witness, he says in 1 Peter 3.15, it says, for us who are believers, always be prepared, always be prepared to give an answer to everyone who asks you for the reason, for the hope that you have, but do it with gentleness and respect. See, I love, I think it was Rick Warren several years ago said it this way, and I think it's totally true. Uh, there's only two things that you can't do in heaven. Do you know that? Only two things that you do now that you can't do in heaven. You know some things you can't do in heaven? I wonder if I can play golf in heaven. I thought that'd be cool. You know, 
It'd be a really cool golf course. I love to play golf. It'd be the greatest golf course in the world, probably. I don't know if that's true. Anyway. But there's two things you can't do in heaven. Number one is this. You cannot sin in heaven, right? It's impossible according to what God's Word says. And the other thing you can't do in heaven is this. You can't share your faith and be a witness to somebody who doesn't know Christ. Impossible! So which one of those two, A, sin, or B, share your faith with someone who doesn't know Christ, which one do you think God, God leaves you here for? This is not hard. This is second service. I know you guys are laid back. But wake up. No, you know what, it's, you know what the answer to that is. And the reality is God wants all of us, everybody to know Christ because he says it in his word. 2 Peter 3, 9 says it this way. God does not want anyone to be lost, but he wants all people to change their hearts and their lives. And he's left us here and he's given us a mission to be a witness to others. Not to convince them, not to do a sales job with them, simply to share because God says, when you share what God has done for you, my Holy Spirit will work in your life, in their lives, and what He'll do is He'll bring fruit out of that. So if you want God's legacy and God's blessing on your life, you've got to care about the people that God cares about most, and who does He care about? The lost. The lost. People who are not connected with God. So that's the first thing we got to do. We got to be prepared at all times. We got to be witnesses wherever we go. The second, uh, along with that, is this: next, if we're going to reach people who are closest to us, another thing we have to do is we got to find new ways to connect with people. I said people are leaving churches and groves. That shouldn't stop us from finding ways of connecting with people because people are still spiritually searching. They're just not searching in churches as much as they used to. And so how do we do that? We've got to think of new and creative ways to build bridges from where people are to where people need to be. And I'm excited because there's people in our church and in our community that are doing that. And I just want you to watch a video for a minute that one couple in our church started something that just a couple of years ago that is beginning to build momentum and the ultimate purpose is to build bridges and help us to reach some people here in this community that uh, maybe we weren't reaching before. So watch this video. When Reclaim got started, we had uh, several youth workers in the community here that were interested in getting a youth center going in town. And so uh, we were approached to see if we were interested in uh, participating in that venture. Part of that was raising funds for the youth center, and that's where the idea of Reclaim came about. I mean, one of the things was, you know, Deb and I kept asking God, what's our next step for us to take? And when this opportunity came about, we kind of said, really, God, that's, you know, we're willing to go wherever you want us to go, and yet, you want us to do a resale store? Um, but we realized that it was a, a need that the community had, and Love, you know, what's our purpose in life? Love God, love others. And so, how could we, the two of us, love others? This seemed like a perfect fit for us. And so, we took that step of, of doing it. As Chris looked around uh, at other communities that had youth centers to find a, a different 
options or different ways of doing it. Chillicothe um, looked like a, a good place to, to look at. They had started with the youth center and weren't able to fund it, and so they had a garage sale one weekend that turned into what's now Helping Hands Resale. And so as we looked at, at their example, um, it seemed like
So if we're going to reach people that are near us, that are like us, uh, what we got to do is we got to, number one, we got to be willing to share and be a witness. Number two, we got to find new ways to connect people to Christ. And finally, the other thing that, in, this, in this first point is we need to finally, we got to develop new churches. And, and I was really passionate about this for a while as, as being a church who really planted new churches. Uh, but it seems to be roadblock after roadblock for a while. Nothing was really coming around. But I got, began to explore something that I found out recently is that one of the things that we find is more and more people are not wanting to go to large churches. Uh, Mega churches as a whole are, are kind of like hit their peak. And a lot of people want to begin to have a more intimate experience. And so it was interesting in some statistics I was reading the other day that only 10, that about 10% of the people on a given week who consider themselves regular attenders go to a, what they call a microchurch. A microchurch is almost like a home church, and it's starting. And I'm going like, you know, why can we not just start microchurches in the, in the neighborhoods, communities that are around here that, uh, that, are, um, uh, that are maybe to start with a small group, and that group has a vision for what God wants to do in the community and begin to reach out to people. And uh, that just takes people resources as much as anything else. And in some of those churches, that's how Great Oak started in a sense. It was a small group of people uh, about 20 years ago that had a vision for reaching people for Christ here in this community. And it began to, to uh, go through a process, and, and it, it started. So we have to do all those things. So I'm going to share with those in my world. But that's not enough. It's not enough to simply care about people who are around you, who are like you. The second thing we've got to do is I must dare to reach people beyond my world. I must dare to reach people beyond my world. Love demands that I move beyond my comfort zone to people with different backgrounds, different education, different language, different economics. Uh, one of the reasons, and I shared this a while ago, one of the reasons that America is becoming increasingly important mission field is because of the number of immigrants entering the country every year. Statistically, According to the data from the U.S. Census Bureau, there were nearly, and this is about seven-year-old data, there were nearly 40 million people who were currently living in America, and this is the documented people, 40 million people, foreign-born, who did not grow up, did not, were not born in America, uh, are 13% of the total population. I'm not talking about people who've lived here a long time. I'm talking about people who've recently moved to America. 13% of the total population. So we've become a very diverse country. Now, Germantown Hills is not that diverse, okay? We're kind of like an island of sameness. But the reality is, if you look around the world, even going down to Peoria and other places, that's not true anymore. And so what do we do? We've got to be able to reach the people who are different than we are, maybe economically, maybe, maybe culturally, uh, in different ways. I love what Paul says in 1 Corinthians 9.22 when he says this, Whatever a person is like, I try to find common ground with him so that he will let me tell him about Christ and then let Christ save him. That I will be a witness. God will let me be a witness to him. Because the reality is, is this, folks, if we love people, love God, love people, the way we should, then we have to share with them the greatest news that, needs to, that there is in the world. If you and I had the cure for cancer, let's say, I believe that what we'd be doing is shouting it on the street. We'd be letting everybody know. And Christians are called to build bridges. God expects us to make the first move. I love what he says in Scripture in so many different ways. For instance, in Galatians, Paul says, Stoop down and reach out to those who are oppressed. Share their burdens and so complete the law of Christ. And God says our actions are proved by our love. He says it in James 1.27, Pure and genuine religion is in the sight of God the Father means crying for orphans. 
are caring for orphans and widows in their distress and refusing to let the world corrupt you. And then in Matthew 25, it says, I was hungry and you fed me. I was thirsty and you gave me drink. I was a stranger and you invited me in to your home. I was naked and you gave me clothing. I was sick and you cared for me. I was in prison and you visited me. It's saying that what we do, we're the hands and feet of Christ and our culture. And so often what we do is we kind of hang out with people just like us. Instead of caring for the people who are close to us. And maybe living down, just down the street, across, the, across town, in the next city near us, or somebody even somewhere closer. And he wants us to do that. I, I, I was interesting this morning, when I got to my office this morning, about 6 a.m. here, and I, I, was, I opened up my email first just to make sure there was no, you know, like somebody's not going to show up or something like that. That usually never happens. But I had an email from one of our leadership team people, Mike Hazelbush. Uh, Mike is a, a chief engineer at CAT. He travels all over the world. And uh, he, he sent me an email this morning, and according to my time, it said 2 a.m. And I'm going like, Mike, what in the world are you doing at 2 a.m. sending me emails? And then I realized he said he was in China. 13 hours difference where he's at. So it was like an afternoon in China when he sent me that email. But he was sending me some email about some information. He and I have been talking about some stuff. And, and, and I remember just a few weeks ago, we had a leadership team meeting along with our staff together, and we were doing some vision casting. This is kind of the stuff I've been sharing the last three weeks. And we were sharing together, and we'd been there all day long at the church, and got home, and I was just beat. And, and uh, Mike shows up, and it was kind of cool that day, and he shows up on his motorcycle, okay? And, and I'm going like, why is Mike riding a motorcycle on a day like this? And he just says, I just like join, join. And, it's, and, and so he was sharing, he was, he was encouraging, he was, he was just kind of saying, hey Bill, it was a great meeting, da da da. And then he said, he said, and then he started telling me, he got really excited then. He started telling me about this thing that he was doing recently. He said, uh, he said one of the really cool things I'm doing, he said, I, I started asking about, you know, what was he excited about, and he said, about the motorcycle, and he said, oh, this is about something that I'm doing down at the Dream Center in Peoria. He said, what I'm doing is, he said, I went down to the Dream Center in Peoria, and what I'm doing is I'm connecting with seven or eight young men, totally different from me, totally socioeconomically different from me, young guys who don't have a lot of job skills, whatever. And he said, I found out that they love to learn how to do, like, rebuild motorcycles. And so what he's doing is he actually has this group of young men, seven, seven or eight young men he's working with on a regular basis, and he goes down and he teaches them how to take old junker motorcycles that they get for practically nothing, rebuild them and resell them. He's given them a job skill. And he said, that's really cool, but let me tell you, Bill, that the purpose of that is not so I can help them to learn how to build motorcycles. He said, I'm building relationships with these young men. They trust me now. And he said, what I'm doing has been able to, my hope is that I can be able to share Christ with these young men as well. See, we've got to find these kind of ways to do that. We've got to reach out. And he's, Mike has found a way to bridge a gap between people who are not in, that are in his world but not like him and, and get their ear. We need to do the same thing. That's what Christianity is all about. It's about healing broken, messed up lives. It's, it, the whole business of Christianity is healing hurts and helping people. It's love. Now, I'm not going to kid you about this uh, because I could, I could just simply say, yeah, if you do that, it's going to be exciting all the time. Well, if you get involved in your mission in the world, it will cost you. It will. But it's going to do something for you, too. It will break you out of your self-centeredness and comfort. But it's going to cost you time and energy and effort and money. And, and God says in His Word, He says, you may not get any rewards this side of heaven. 
But the reality is you'll be doing something worthwhile. And I can tell you, Mike Hazelbush, even though he has a really responsible job at CAT, he's really excited about working with these seven or eight young men who can build, build into their lives in ways that he couldn't possibly do in any other way. We have to care about people who are in our world but not like us. The third thing is this. If I'm going to be like Jesus Christ, if I'm going to fulfill the mission of Acts 1-8, I have to do this. I must care about the whole world. Remember what it said at Acts 1-8 at the end? It says, and go into all the world. I must care about the whole world. Jesus said it so clearly in Mark 16. He says this. Jesus said to his followers, go everywhere in the world and tell the good news to everyone. Now let me say, speak about that a minute. That was not a verse that was given to missionaries and pastors. He was speaking to his followers, disciples, followers of Christ. He says, all of you, go into all the world. Now, you can't all go at the same time. You not be able to go at different times, but you've got you, you to understand that if you're a Christian, Jesus says, follow me. He says, and I will make you fishers of men. And if you're not fishing, you're not following. And it's never been easier in our world today to fulfill that mission of going into the world because, folks, I mean, it, it, you, can, you can connect with the world in so many ways. The last few years, I've had the opportunity to go to Africa and, and go to the villages in, in, uh, in remote Mali and, and understand some things. I never thought I'd have that opportunity. I got to go to Israel last fall and, and, and go and, and, and spend two weeks there uh, interacting with people in that culture, and I hope in the future I have more of that. Let me tell you, those things, those interactions with people in those places, it's life-changing. It's life-changing. So, this morning... One of the things we want to do is we want to give you some opportunities. So Dan Baker, come on right now. Dan's our children's pastor, but also probably you don't, most of you don't know this, but Dan's undergraduate and graduate degree, is that right? Yeah. Is in international missions. So Dan, share with us some stuff.
to see if he is leading us to be involved in our ministry. What came to life does is this. They exist in 13 different countries around the world, and they set up and they established orphanages, safe homes, and care centers for kids. Kids who are living on the street, kids who are orphans, kids who are starving to death, kids who are being abused or exploited somehow, and they bring them in to these different places of ministry, orphanages, care homes, etc. And they provide the physical needs that they need, the food, shelter, the clothes. They also love on these kids, encourage them. Uh, for most of these kids, this is it. This is their source of love and support in life. And then they also invest into these kids spiritually. Most of these kids are there over the long term. And they build a relationship with these uh, house parents or orphanage workers or whoever it may be. And these and these missionaries and these uh, people that work in these facilities teach them about Jesus Christ. They explain to them how Jesus died on the cross for their sins, how he wants to be their Lord and their Savior. And they begin to explain and help these kids understand that Jesus is the only person who is going to be able to, to repair the damage that many of those kids have done to them in their lifetime. Last Thursday, I went up to meet with a friend from here, Todd Corning, who was also on the leadership team. And there was a banquet that was being hosted by Kids Alive International to celebrate 100 years of ministry. And during that, during that banquet, they had seven young adults speaking. Seven people who grew up in these orphanages and in these care centers, and they gave their testimony. Friends, it was amazing. And the only way I can explain it, and the only way I should explain it is because that, that is the work of Jesus Christ working in the lives of these kids that he's loved, that have been abandoned and abused. And he's doing work through these people, through his faithful service that he's put them through. And it is just awesome. And I left there thinking, wow, that is something that I want to be involved in, and that's something I think Great Oaks might possibly be involved in. And if that's the door that God opens for us to, to begin to develop a relationship with this ministry down there, I believe wholeheartedly it's going to impact those people that we minister. It will also greatly impact us as we become God's instrument of love and mercy to those people. So this is what I want you to do. All right, I want you to begin praying for the four of us that are going to Peru next month. Pray that we will have God's discernment to be able to decide is this something that God is leading us to? Uh, and then also, obviously, pray for our, our health and our safety as we travel down there. We will be going to, to uh, the city of Lima, Peru, and we'll, and we'll also be going to Pucapa, which is a city in the Amazon jungle, uh, about 600, 800,000 people in total. Uh, and we're just going to see what God leads us to do. If after we come back and, and we meet with the church leadership team, uh, if it's and we believe that God's sending us in this direction. Then in 2017, we hope to start sending services to Great Oaks Community Church down there and to, and to build a relationship with kids alive and missionaries and youth groups down there. Uh, these services would be comprised of students, of adults, and also family units with, with children who are like, old enough to go and to uh, be a part of this. So start praying now also. 
that if God isn't there, see if he wants to be a part of it. I think it's exciting that quite a few teams have that connection over the next few years and build a relationship and see what God does first. So that's something that's on my mind. One last verse, and then we're going to wrap up here. Um, Mark 8.35 says this, If you insist on saving your life, you will lose it. Only those who throw away their lives for my sake and for the sake of the good news will ever know what it means to really live. I think that most of us want to really live. I don't think we want to just exist. I think the greater thing that most of us desire more than anything is to have meaning and purpose in our lives. And I can tell you there's nothing that will give you greater meaning and purpose in your life and give you greater joy than to, than to connect with somebody that's in your world who doesn't know Jesus Christ, to be a witness to them and see them grow in Christ and come to a place. We see this all the time at Great Oaks when we have baptisms. You notice that a lot of times that when we do baptisms here at Great Oak, is a lot of times it's not the pastors that do the baptizing. A lot of times it's somebody that was influential, a family member, a friend, somebody like that, because we want them to be a part of that as well and to, because that's meant something to them. And those people are celebrating big time. There's nothing that will give you more than greater joy than to come to a place in your life where you've, you've in some way connected with a people group that may be even around here somewhere and see them the impact on their lives as you begin to build a relationship with them and share Christ with them. And there's nothing that will impact your life even anymore than going to a different culture, a different place in the world, and even short term for a week or 10 days or two weeks or whatever, and spending time there sharing and seeing how people in the rest of the world live but also knowing that they're so open to the gospel so often. See, God wants to change us. He wants to challenge us. And the reason that Jesus gave us this mission is because he wants us to carry it out. But he wants us to live life fully. And that's what that verse says. So, I want to pray, uh, 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 challenge you to pray a prayer. The most dangerous prayer you can pray. And that prayer is this. God, use me. God, use me. I dare you to say it. I mean, do you have enough courage to say, God, use my life? And when you do, watch what happens. He may cause you to, uh, to plant, start a store. <laughs> and you didn't think that was going to be the deal, right? Anywhere you want me to go, God. Metamora? Really? Or God, use me. I'm going to do a motorcycle ministry with some guys down at their Dream Center. They don't know it's a ministry. They just think they're building motorcycles. Or God, use me in Peru or with the Basque or whoever. God, use me. So what will you do? What, what, what are some things you can do? Let me share with you three things you can do out of this, the three challenges. Number one, what you need to do is discover your shape. I told you what that would mean. This, the shape is an acrostic we use here at Great Oaks. It's been used by other churches. And it spirit, simply means this. Discover how God made you. And God made you and not only with spiritual gifts, that's the S, but he made you with heart, a passion for things. Here's things you love to do. He made you with abilities. All of us have different abilities. You're like, I don't have any abilities. Yes, you do. you got a bunch. You have a personality. God, that personality is part of what God wants you to do. And finally, you have experiences in life. You have educational experiences. You have spiritual experiences. And probably most importantly, you have painful experiences. And God doesn't ever waste a hurt. 
And so he wants you to discover what that is. And how you can discover that, if you want to know more about how to do that, is go and sign up for class 301. The guy I told you about is in China right now, Mike Hazelbush, he teaches class 301 here. And in 301, he goes through how to discover what your shape is. And when you discover your shape, you're going like, well, that's cool, I know what my shape is now. No, that's not the purpose. Once you discover your shape, ask God what's he, what he wants you to do with it. What does he want you to do with it? A second thing you can do is, is as we open doors here, go on a short, short-term mission trip. There will be nothing more impactful and nothing you can spend your money on. It's better than a vacation. And finally, one thing that's happening right away, and, and you can begin to build relationships with people from a different culture and a different part of the world, is you don't even have to leave home to do this. Every year for the last several years, we've, we've connected with a group of students called the Basque from Spain. The purpose is this, the long-term purpose is to connect with those students and help them to come to a place where we can let them, where Christ will, that will have Christ in their culture. There's two to three million Basque people in the northern regions of Spain who are the most unchurched, unreached people group in all of Europe. And so for the last several years, we've had numerous students come here. These are high school-age students who come in and spend one month, uh, three, three weeks in your home, one week at camp. And in doing so, these families, many of the families that have done this for years, have built relationships with these students. So we still need a couple of people, I believe, a couple of people who would host for that month of July, basically, uh, a, a girl, a high school-age girl, who would come and do that. And if you'd like to be a part of that, what you can do is simply in your bulletin, there's some connect, uh, connection information there about uh, Kendra, I think, and I got her information there, and you can use that as well. So those are three things. What will we do? Well, we're going to, as a church, we're going to increase short-term mission opportunities. What you heard about Peru is just one of, things, one of the things we'll be doing, but it's a new thing that maybe give us opportunities with adults, with students, and with families. A second thing we're going to do here locally, and you kind of heard this in the first video from the Riles, is, is that we're going to look at developing some expansion plans for our facilities here on this campus. That it, We don't know exactly what it's going to look like, but particularly it might be uh, student-centered, but also it could be used by the community during the week. We are building all kinds of bridges with the community through the use of this facility. You would not believe how many people use this facility all the time. And in doing so, we found out you know, we only have limited space here. And so we, we're going to develop some plans over the next uh, couple of years that help us to understand what is the next phase of that uh, during this time. But that are some of the things we're going to do. This whole series has been the purpose, once again, to remind us what our purposes are, but also to give you a vision of what we hope to see God doing in the future. We believe this is God's work at God's time here in this community. So let's, let me pray with you, and then we'll close our service this morning.